Have you ever asked yourself the question, am I in a cult? I actually never had asked myself that question. It wasn't until I was extremely sick, my body was shutting down, and doctors couldn't help me that I started to finally ask myself the question, am I in a cult? This is something I never thought I would have to ask myself. I was the person who would see documentaries or hear stories in the news, and I would think, literally, I would think, wow, I am so lucky. I never have to worry about that. The next two episodes are going to be talking about cults, and specifically, my experience being a part of the Mormon cult, and why exactly this was a huge missing piece to my health and wellness journey. I absolutely believe that there were many factors into why I became as sick as I did, but being in a cult was a huge part of that. Because not only being a part of that system was making me sick, but also the way that it affected how I grew up, the belief systems I had about myself, and the systems that were perpetuated in my childhood and in my family. So I'm here to tell you, if you also think, wow, I'm so lucky I never have to worry about that, or if you're like me, an ex-Mormon, where one day it felt so obvious and you couldn't understand why you didn't see it this whole time, that's the point. If you are in a cult, you are the last person to know it. That is the point of the cult, and it's how it works. In part one, this episode right now, I just want to share a little bit of my personal beliefs about why I am so strong in calling Mormonism a cult. I know that's really uncomfortable for a lot of people, but a lot of these episodes can get uncomfortable for people. Going through these processes of healing was extremely uncomfortable for me but I'm hoping that the people who are ready to hear the message will hear it. So let's talk a little bit about why it happens, how it happens, what I might recommend. And in the next episode, I'm going to be joined by my husband, Chris. We're going to take the bite model and specifically break it down and show you exactly how Mormonism fits perfectly in the bite model. So this is a topic that I didn't necessarily want to approach for a really long time. I really wanted to focus my time, energy, and my podcast, my channel, on healing, on moving on from the difficult, traumatic experiences. But I do feel like it is very important to recognize where everything has come from, why you feel the way you feel, and what is happening. And to be honest, quite often I hear a lot of arguments against Mormonism being a cult. I especially hear these arguments from people who live in Utah. Even ex-Mormons who live in Utah or who are still very much ingrained into Utah culture or Mormon culture. It's really, really difficult to say the unpopular opinion or to even just form it. I believe a lot of people are timid or shy or, or afraid of calling Mormonism a cult because they're afraid of hurting other people's feelings. Because they feel like they can help more people if those people don't feel offended. 
I personally am much more concerned with protecting people's health and well-being than I am in protecting their feelings. Maybe it's the Aries in me, but quite often I like to tell it how it is. I don't like to sugarcoat. And I really believe that a lot more harm can happen if we do try to sugarcoat what's actually happening. And I also wanna say, of course you're gonna be afraid to call it a cult because that's what cults do. They make you feel afraid or just unsure. I also think it may be difficult for some people to see it as a cult because they probably weren't living it in the truest sense. What do I mean by that? I mean that the people who followed the doctrines, who followed the teachings, who followed the rules of Mormonism more closely, those are the people that were most hurt by it. People, individuals, families who were a little bit more lax or who took a little bit maybe even generally more healthy approach at looking at the rules, probably aren't receiving as much of a backlash for no longer following those rules. And I think it's difficult for people who grew up in a Utah culture to really get the full picture of what it was like growing up outside of that culture, being the complete odd man out, and the pressures that were put on us to stand up for our beliefs, to be that guiding light to all the non-believers. I think we had to take a much stronger stance in being Mormon, generally speaking. And it's okay if people disagree with my opinion on this. You have your own experience. You're going to have your own opinion. But I want to take this opportunity to share mine. For most of my life, my dad was a bishop or a stake president, and my family in general was extremely evangelical in their beliefs of Mormonism. I had strict parents. And although Mormonism isn't the entirety to blame for my childhood trauma, I do absolutely believe that Mormonism and other cults take complete advantage of people who are traumatized, who are in pain, or who need help. And that is where I draw the line. Whether you want to use the word cult or not, taking advantage of people when they are already down is a completely despicable thing. And that was the case with my family. That was the case with my parents. And I believe it's probably the case for a lot of other Mormon families. So before I continue, I do want to recommend, if you are interested in this topic, go look up Seduced. It's all about the Nixium cult, and it also has a sequel called The Vow. I binged that shit. Especially coming out of Mormonism, that just touched me to my core. I was so able to relate. But what I really loved about these particular documentaries was the way in which they introduced the cult to the viewer, to the person watching the documentary. Seduced starts off very happy and it really shows you all the benefits that you feel like you can get from being a part of something like this, an organization, a cult, a high demand religion, whatever. And it really makes you question, why is this thing bad? Or how bad can it really be? Once you get into the sequel, The Vow, a lot more is revealed. And if you watch from the beginning to end, you really can feel those conflicting feelings that those people who are members feel. Seeing the absolute beauty of community that is brought on, 
and watching it slowly get destroyed as secrets come open. So in my opinion, it's a perfect example of how confusing these organizations can feel. From outside in, it really looks obvious, but it's when you are in the inside, you truly believe that you are part of saving the world. I want to make a claim. I'm calling it. I'm calling it right now. The Mormon church is going to change. It's going to allow things like gay marriage or LGBTQ marriage inside of the temple. And it's also going to allow women to hold priesthood duties and authorities. And I think it's probably going to happen within my lifetime. If you look at other issues surrounding Mormonism, such as blacks in the priesthood, polygamy, or you can even see how our language or quote unquote acceptance of gay identities has changed, right? We can see the evolution of the church at a much slower pace and rate than the rest of the world. These are all prime examples of how the church has necessitated change in order to still be a church today. And I wanna talk about this a little bit because in my mind, this idea that the church is changing, that they're growing or becoming more accepting, this is a major problem. The majority of talk around this is that this is good, that the church is changing. Because then, you know, the church will be doing less damage to less people, right? That sounds good. Less trauma going around in general. But also, we have to think about what this does. This makes it so that we as individuals are more content. We allow the bad to continue because it is, quote, less. We see these very minute changes and we accept that as enough. And really what this does is it makes us complacent. It makes it harder for us to see what's actually going on to the point that the power is no longer in our hands. We're not thinking for ourselves. We're allowing the thoughts and actions to come from someone outside of ourselves. And this is really the issue that I take with progressive or nuanced Mormons. If you can see the bad, and just because it feels less bad than before, does that really equal good? The problem with nuanced or progressive Mormons is that the system is currently serving you. The problem with that is that as long as it serves who you currently are choosing to be, you are much less likely to want to change and grow. And on the other end of the spectrum, we also have people who leave the church, but only because it currently benefits them to leave. And these are usually those same people that you see returning to the church later on in their life. Both of these groups of people are actually so similar. They're similar because they haven't done the work to deconstruct fully. They haven't done the work to create their own identity separate from religion and be standing fully and confidently in that identity. These two kinds of people feel so different from one another, but actually are so similar. So let's talk about how this happens. How do you end up in a cult? Or if you're born into it, how do you end up staying, right? So this episode and the next is all about the bite model. Dr. Hassan created the bite model to help us understand and identify cult-like practices. 
I have more information about this and it's directly linked on my website and there's a direct link to the bite model and Dr. Hassan's research. So Dr. Hassan says that when undue influence is initially imposed on unsuspecting recruits, it usually starts with like a love bombing. And you're gonna see a lot of similarities between these cult-like practices or pseudo-religious groups and narcissism. So it starts with the love bombing and you get these promises, these idealistic fantasy worlds. They'll use words like never die, living forever, eternal life. It's this idea that you can achieve some sort of elite status or that you can expect a better society to come. That might be in this world or in a next life. But once these new recruits have bought into this promise and this hype, that's when they are incrementally introduced into systemic methods of control. Usually, these methods of control are not imposed individualistically at first. Like we said, it is systematic. So this is really a very one small step at a time. So what this does, like chemically in your brain, scientifically speaking, this methodical system of control, this undue influence, it's disrupting your authentic identity. And it's taking that, it's reconstructing it into a new identity, the one that they want you to have. It's usually in the image of the group or the leader. So this can be in the image of Christ per se, or what they claim Christ to be. And during this process, that's when the individual's ability to think rationally and even act independently begins to be undermined. And there is a myth when talking about cults, we tend to be extremely judgmental. We tend to think that it's only stupid people who join a cult. I think most Mormons, ex-Mormons, probably a lot of people from other cults and religions would say the same thing. They meet the brightest, most educated, most functional people in these communities. But why? How does that work? These systems know what they're doing. They intentionally recruit the best and the brightest, very service-oriented people, good-natured people, and it is all done with a purpose in mind. So that brings us to the BITE model. BITE, B-I-T-E. It stands for behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotional control. So similar to an abusive relationship, the participants are probably not going to recognize the practices as harmful. And actually, it goes a step further. They probably associate positive feelings in relation to the indoctrination. And again, think of it very similar to narcissism or an abusive relationship. We ask the same questions as a society. Why do people not leave abusive situations? By the time you realize it's abusive, it can often feel like it's too late. Of course, we as the outsiders know it is never too late, but it is these small steps to maintain control over someone's life that cause them to feel that lack of hope in getting out. So you have to realize too, we're speaking chemically about the brain. 
go back and listen to episode, I think it's three. Yeah, uh, Your Lizard Brain. We talk a lot about the brain chemicals and what's happening with brainwashing there. But the idea is that anybody who's in this state of brainwashing rarely questions the information given to them by their leaders. This is what is called coercive persuasion. This is what prevents a member from individuating in thought and belief first. And yes, brainwashing has long-term effects associated with its use. Those effects have been proven to be complex PTSD, severe depression and anxiety, and a lot of the victims struggle with suicidal thoughts. And research has found a major factor in this kind of coercive practice is the victim's internalized anger. The suppression of your feelings and your thoughts under your true identity and self. So, (laughs) I hear a lot of people ask, but if this church or this community is doing so much good, then what's the big deal? Well, if talking about individual brainwashing, chemistry of depression and suicide doesn't help you answer that question, let's talk about how it affects society as a whole. Let's talk about the church's tax-exempt charitable status. So basically, that means that citizens, whether Mormon or not, pay taxes for any property that the church owns. And most likely, the services required to maintain those properties. Maybe there are some exceptions here, but this is a generality across cult and charitable (laughs) tax-exempt status cults. So this group, this cult, specifically the Mormon church, is receiving billions of dollars from its members. Yes, billions. That comes in the form of many ways. But let's compare the idea of earning billions versus how much money they actually put back into society. Because a lot of this money is disguised. Once you become a billion dollar company, because yes, churches are companies, and you no longer have to pay the majority of your taxes, that money is going into stocks. It's going into small name businesses that this organization owns. And we can see that with the SCC filing in the Mormon church recently. You really have to be smart. You have to go look at where exactly those donations are going. Because more often than not, It's going back into its own system of the cult, through secret businesses even. And you also have to think critically, especially in places like Utah or Arizona, where Mormonism abounds, the state-level government is made up of LDS-majority members as well. There could even be a skew in lawmaking. And then you just have to look at the percentages. So let's think about this. I think a lot of us forget the difference between 1 million and 1 billion. And we're talking about multi-millions and multi-billions. So think about it this way. 1 million seconds is 12 days. But 1 billion seconds is 31 years. And there are projections because obviously the Mormon church is not upfront with all of their money, investments, etc. But some would even suggest 
the Mormon church is actually nearing closer to being a trillion dollar company. So 1 million is 12 days, a billion seconds is 31 years, 1 trillion seconds is 31,688 years. Wow. So when you put it in, into perspective, what are the percentages of money coming in and money going out? When you compare those thousands, millions, billions, maybe even trillions, what does that actually look like? So we mentioned how it affects society. We talked about the long-term effects with brainwashing and undue influence techniques. So I really think the next question to ask yourself, if you are curious if you're in a cult or not, is are you really making your own choices? How do you even know if a thought or a belief or a choice is yours? Dr. Hassan said this, destructive mind control can be determined when the overall effect has these four components, and by four components he means the B-I-T-E and bite, and when it promotes dependency or obedience to some leader or cause. And he says it is not necessary for every single item on the bite model list to be present to identify a cult. Quite often, as an ex-Mormon, I think a lot of us get asked, what changes would you need to see in the church in order to go back? Some people answer that question very literally about the different changes they would want to see towards LGBTQ, towards racism, towards women, etc. But I truly believe there's only one good answer for this. And that answer is there is nothing that could ever make me do that. This is a very red pill, blue pill situation. Once you see it, once you truly see it, you cannot unsee it. You see the power that is handed over to a select few, to a cause, and to a single leader. If you are interested in more about this bite model, Chris and I are going to venture into the specifics of Mormonism as a cult. And basically, we're going to have a conversation about how our cult experiences vary, how they differ, and how they're the same. And how those specifics directly correlate to the bite model. So if you have ever wondered or asked, is Mormonism a cult? Head to the next episode and we'll answer the question with you. See you there.